to another episode of the Obey Podcast. So today I want to talk about something that's all over the news in the last couple weeks, and it's going to be all over the news for pr- probably the indefinite future, um, if my forecast is correct, and that is the trial of Derek Chauvin, and he's being tried for murder of George Floyd. Um, so this is something that I'm assuming everybody's familiar with. If you're not familiar with this, then you've been living in a complete bubble. But in, in March 2020, Derek Chauvin, a police officer, um, he, he was involved in the death of George Floyd because if anybody doesn't know the story, George Floyd goes and buys, he, he goes to a deli, he pays with a counterfeit 20. Um, the guy who works the deli calls the cops, the cops show up, ask him to get out of, they ask George Floyd to get out of his car and they end up subduing him. Um, and George Floyd ends up dying. And depending on who you talk to or which media narrative you trust, um, Derek Chauvin's knee was on the back of George Floyd's neck for about nine minutes. And then by the time um, the the medical help came up to the scene, George, George Floyd had passed. So the, 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 there's the narrative that Derek Chauvin is directly responsible for the death of George Floyd. But the situation is muddied because there was some levels of fentanyl in the system and that he was found... The, 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 so drugs were found in his car, and then this gives all sorts of cover for Derek Chauvin because if George Floyd was on a certain amount of drugs, then he could have died regardless, or maybe the the um, subduing the, the it's it's possible that Derek Chauvin's tactic to subdue George Floyd was not directly responsible for his death, but the obviously the the video of the event went viral where Derek Chauvin was using a a tactic to subdue George Floyd that does not look um, safe by any means. So that was captured on video. It blew up. And then that that's what caused all these riots in the summer of 2020. So the trial is finally happening and it's a really interesting um, tool of observing propaganda. And it's not because everything is fake, but it's because it goes to the definition of the red pill that Michael Malice, that, that Michael Malice pushes which is that it is a carefully constructed it's a carefully constructed narrative pushed by the corporate press. Um, so you have to be aware of that when you're watching these proceedings and you're hearing the coverage on it because that will completely shape how you view the outcome. And I think that's what is going to help shape what happens in the coming weeks, especially after the outcome. So the way I'm seeing things is it's very hard to imagine a world where Derek Chauvin ends up guilty and sent away to prison. Um, I say that because in the United States, in our legal system, well, well, first off, our legal system has all sorts of problems because most times people are accused of something. They don't even see a jury trial and they end up settling because they're afraid to. Um, they, so, so, so a lot of times people, if they are confronted with a charge, the prosecutor applies tons and tons of charges. The, the people are pretty much scared into not pursuing a trial because they're worried about a punitive punishment. So imagine you did something minor. 
like, like, like a very small offense by a reasonable person's standards. Well, they'll find about eight charges that go along with it, and they'll threaten to punish you to the maximum extent, and then all of a sudden you're looking at 30 years in prison. So they'll have you plea down to maybe like two years, and then like and then um, a certain amount of time in parole or something like that, where a lot of people just plead down to only parole. So all sort of that, all sorts of stuff cause innocent people to accept plea deals. But um, I, 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 well, it's very easy if you're a libertarian to go on these tangents because there are so many problems and so many things. Um, but, but I will say if you actually do get to a trial, um, the onus is on the prosecutor to prove that the person is guilty. So it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, there are so many confounding variables in the, the situation with, with George Floyd and Derek Chauvin that it's hard to imagine that a reasonable jury ends up finding him guilty on these charges without a reasonable doubt. Now, the reason why this is going to be so problematic in the coming weeks is because of all the um, optics around the George Floyd, Floyd event. So most people saw the nine-minute video where George Floyd was subdued, and it does not look pretty. It looks really bad. It looks like Derek Chauvin is, it looks like he pretty much killed him. So people are very upset about it and they want to see that guy thrown in a cage. And a lot of people who saw that video and are activists um, in the Black Lives Matter movement do do not really concern themselves with uh, other types of evidence that are being um, brought into the situation that could shed light on why George Floyd passed away. Because although Derek Chauvin's knee probably didn't help George Floyd's chances of survival. It's certainly, um, it's certainly being argued that without maybe drugs in George Floyd's system, then he wouldn't have killed him. So it's more of a combination of factors, and you can't really blame Derek Chauvin if what he did was what he was trained to do, at least in the eyes of the United States government, which is where the, 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 the trial is being held. Um, and as, as, as much as I have gripes with the United States government, I'm just examining this by the rules of the game. And by the rules of the game, he, he doesn't seem like he should be um, he should be convicted. Now, I, I'm not saying that, that that's just. I'm just saying the United States system, that that's what we're going to get. Now, the, the issue is if you listen to NPR and you listen to CNN, they'll play sound bites from each day. And the sound bites from each day are all about all, all these things that the prosecutor is bringing forward. And they all paint um, Derek Chauvin in, in a very incriminating light. So I th I'm, I'm under the impression that this might be it might be getting people's hopes up, which is only going to stoke more. Um, it's going to stoke more problems and resentment and racial animus when he gets acquitted, or if there's a hung jury. Um, okay, so what? So a couple examples of this would be um, how the prosecutor has brought forth experts who are who have worked in, like, say. Um, in, in, in certain in certain types of like almost mixed martial arts type scenarios and that they've talked about the knee on the neck and they've described it as a blood choke well a blood choke sounds really indicting to somebody who doesn't know a lot about chokes in general but but there's only a couple kinds of chokes and and not and 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 of the two types of chokes a blood choke is i, I guess almost in, in a way it's like it's less aggressive because a lot the the, the if, if you watch UFC, the, the, the classic choke is maybe a rear naked choke or a guillotine choke. And a lot of times the, those chokes are pressing exactly like on the esophagus and they're making people gag and they, they'll, they'll either collapse your esophagus or you won't be able to breathe at all. Um, and it's very quick. And then there's a blood choke, which um, in, in UFC or mixed martial arts, you, you can imagine like a triangle choke maybe or something like that, where it's pressing on the two sides of your neck and it's cutting off blood flow. 
and that that causes people to pass out, but it's actually like a much slower choke and it's more to restrain people. So even though um, a blood choke has the optics of sounding very, very bad and indicting, it's like the, there aren't any chokes that, that, that don't sound indicting in terms of the, the vocabulary they're they using, um, and it doesn't really even mean, mean anything of value. But, but NPR will, will play the audio clip where it shows an expert using the phrase blood choke, and it's like, look, they're, 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 they're painting Chauvin in this light that um, looks really bad to a person who is just kind of tuning into the news for a few minutes and tuning out. Um, okay, so some other examples... Um, well, you, you, so I, I think the video that, that got me most upset, and it's why I really um, felt it was necessary to talk about this. Um, they, 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 so the prosecution brings a guy up to the stand. They, they talk to him a little bit, and they, they, they play a video clip from um, the arrest of George Floyd. And George Floyd says a phrase, and it kind of sounds like George Floyd says, I ate a lot of drugs. I ate a lot of drugs. And the police officer admits that's what he hears, and they end up playing it back later. And then they, they, they ask him if he's if George Floyd is saying, I ain't on no drugs. Um, so, and then the police officer agrees that that is probably what George Floyd said. So the the, the implication here is, wow, these, these police officers did something terrible, because look, George Floyd actually said he is not drugs. Um, now... NPR will play this, and we're expected to take what they pl play for us at face value, even though you can listen to more coverage, and they'll, they'll, they'll tell you that there were drugs found in a system. And if you watch the video before he gets tackled to the ground and subdued, he, he is acting in a way that is, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's erratic beyond what somebody who's afraid of being arrested would, would act. It, it's somebody who's absolutely panicking and looks a little bit out of his mind. Um, so... The, 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 they'll, they'll play a quote and they reframe the quote in a way that is, oh, look, he might not actually have been on drugs, even though there's a lot of evidence to show that he was on drugs. And it's like, it's, it's, it's pure optics. So it seems like they're setting things up in terms of for, for the general audience understanding for the person who only watches a little bit of news and it's usually, it's, and it's usually the corporate press they're setting those people up to expect maybe a guilty uh, a guilty verdict when a lot of the prosecution um, hasn't really done anything to to um, counteract or dispel the reasons why somebody might not think that Derek Chauvin directly killed George Floyd. Um, and then another thing I wanted to point to that, 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 that is kind of pushing a narrative is the specific Vox piece that I, I stumbled upon a little bit ago and I found it I found it very um, illustrative of the kind of propaganda that's going on and how incomplete a lot of the story telling us. And this isn't like a two paragraph quick news piece. It's a, it's like a, you know, it's probably like a 18, 19 paragraph piece and it, it leaves out things that are very um, substantial. So it's titled the claim that drugs killed George Floyd relies on a racist trope. Um, and then the, 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 sub, the subhead is, in the Derek Chauvin trial, the defense's attempt to blame George Floyd's death on drug use relies on retrograde and racist myths. So, so I thought this was interesting. I thought this might have some facts that, that shed light on the situation that are a little different. And, um, I, you know, I wanted to hear this person out because there could be something that I'm just missing. Um, so if you scroll down a little bit in the piece, and I'm going to link this in the show notes, it says, 
I'm a neuropsychopharmacologist who researches drug addiction. My work is focused on the unjust and unscientific stigma surrounding drug use and the criminalization of drugs around the globe. The defense's attempt to paint Mr. Floyd as a crazed drug addict relies on retrograde myths about the impact of drugs on our bodies and minds. While it's true that Mr. Floyd had small amounts of methamphetamine and THC in his blood, and then it says 19 and 2.9 nanograms per milliliter respectively, these numbers strongly suggest he hadn't used them in at least several hours, maybe a day. Also, Mr. Floyd's methamphetamine levels were far below those I found in my laboratory research on dozens of participants necessary to induce significantly elevated cardiovascular activity, which is greater than 25 nanograms per milliliter. The amount of methamphetamine found in Mr. Floyd's blood was far too low for it to have had any meaningful effect on him. His blood also had 11 nanograms of fentanyl, America's latest vilified drug. Fentanyl that is laced with heroin or other drugs and sold illegally for recreational use can be very dangerous or deadly. But it's important that we don't fall prey to misinformed and dangerous myths about this drug. Um, okay, it goes on to t- talk about a few myths involving fentanyl. And then if, if you go a little ways down... It says, so what does 11 nanograms fentanyl tell us about Mr. Floyd's mental and physical state moments before his death? Not much because the same amount of fentanyl that produces the pl- that, that, that produces pleasure in a tolerant user can result in an overdose in an infrequent user. That's why together with the toxicology report, we have to interpret Mr. Floyd's behavior shortly before he was killed, which is a barometer of a person's impairment. And then it says, we saw that he was emotionally appropriate and behaving rationally considering the circumstances. Minutes before his encounter with police, he purchased an item from a deli and was about to leave when officers asked him to get out of his car. Together, these observations suggest he had developed some level of tolerance to fentanyl-related effects and show how unlikely it is that the drugs played a role in his death. People on the verge of dying from an opioid overdose are inactive and look visibly drowsy. He was neither. Instead, videos show Mr. Chauvin callously pressing his knee into Mr. Floyd's neck as he repeatedly yelled out, I can't breathe, a rational reaction, until he became unresponsive, while two other officers helped pin him down by applying pressure to his back. Okay. The, the, so, what, what I'm trying to point out to you, if, if you've been listening this far and heard me break that down, and I know I read a lot from it, but I think it's important because they, they, they omit everything about George Floyd bo- bo- right right, right before Derek Chauvin subdued him. It, it links to the video, but it's a complete, um, it, it's, it's a masterclass in gaslighting because it doesn't admit that George Floyd was pretty much yelling and screaming about how he can't breathe well before he was subdued. He, he was yelling that before they pressed him to the ground at all. He was, he, he, he was saying, I can't breathe before Derek Chauvin had him down on the ground with, with, with a knee on his back and a knee on, or a knee on his neck. So, if George Floyd is saying he can't breathe, um, but, and nobody has really touched him yet, you, you would think it would have something to do with, with something that's in his system. Um, and it doesn't even matter if, if, if it was something in his system. Because, because even if you throw out there, like, oh, maybe it wasn't the drugs, it could be anything else. Well, in the, in the end, it shows that he was already having trouble breathing before he was even touched. So if we were to think that Derek Chauvin's knee was the direct cause of his death, it's like, well, he was clearly suffering some other physiological issue that, that was causing this well before he was even put to the ground. So it's not that Derek Chauvin did nothing wrong, and I'm not trying to argue that, and I'm not a fan of cops. I'm not a fan of the agents of the state that do all, all these bad things to enforce state state rules. I'm I'm I'm, I'm even against the, the the United States dollar, which Derek Chauvin, which George Floyd may have very well counterfeited or or knew was counterfeit. Like I'm fine with all of that. I'm I'm all fine with undermining the government, and I'm not a fan of enforcing it. But but to pretend that 
that George Floyd didn't have some sort of physiological issue before Derek Chauvin took his actions is just a complete, um, it's just a complete act of gaslighting and being, and, and, and creating a narrative that is untrue. And the reason why is because then they can point to, and this is another case where a cop did something wrong and then was acquitted, and it's because X, Y, and Z. And usually the X, Y, and Z, when it's from the corporate press, is that America is racist, that America is systematically racist, and that we need to reform institutions in a way that are more um, conscious of race. And then those, uh, invariably, are things that those people were already in favor of, often for very, very different reasons. Um, and, and I believe that cops... Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that cops are not prosecuted enough, but it's because almost everything a cop does inherently, I think, is, I guess, a crime against humanity, because I think government's a crime against humanity. So it's not like I, I, I would be happy. I would be happy if Derek Chauvin went to prison. But I, by, 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 by the legal standards that the U.S. has set out there, I, I just can't I just can't see it. Um, but the, the, the way it's being portrayed to common people by the corporate press is he, here's an indicting smoking gun. And then they'll, they'll, they'll gloss over all the stuff that would put a reasonable doubt into the juror's mind. And if they have a reasonable doubt, then they can't vote to, um, you know, they, 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 they can't vote to, to, to convict them. So, so, the, so the, 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 the natural conclusion of all this is that he is going to get acquitted. And then we're going to experience more and more months of BLM riots in all the major cities in the United States. Um, because it's going to be seen as pretty much Ferguson 2.0. It's going to be Ferguson, but worse. It was already something that, that caused people to stand up and react in a visceral way, and it's so much bigger than the everything involving Trayvon Martin was. There wasn't a video of Trayvon Martin getting killed. Um, and it's going to be no, it's going to be people on the street shouting, no justice, no peace, and they're, they're going to make more demands. And it's all going to be used to pu- push more narratives of racial justice. It's all going to be used for more corporate vir- vir- to, for, for more corporate virtue signaling. And it's just another example of, like, I, I guess, woke politics being front and center in the United States discourse instead of things that are, I guess, um, more directly. Well, it's not even that, 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 that all this is unimportant. And I, 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 I want to make a quick um, qual- qualification on that front. It's not that... George Floyd dying isn't deeply unjust. It's just, it's all based around a narrative that it was due to American racism and not due to um, all all these other factors. Like, it's not just that black people are over-policed. It's that the police carries out all sorts of, um, t- t- they, 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 they go out there and they, they enforce all, sort of, all sorts of immoral government policies. And that can be as insignificant as something like a $20 counterfeit bill, or it can be as insignificant as selling Lucy's on a street corner, because um, that's what people have been killed over before. And it's not just, uh, it doesn't have to be a racialized issue, because there have been people who are killed in their hotel room because they had like an airsoft gun. And then they were drunk, and then cops were yelling at them, and then when they tried to follow the cops' instructions, they were shot dead. There have been white people executed in their driveways by police officers. So... It doesn't have to be a racialized woke issue, but naturally, because that is what can be most easily used as a political tool, and it can be most easily used as a narrative instrument, um, it will be. And the I think the, the the real kicker is it's going to start all these riots. The, the, the corporate press kind of sets it up in a way that obviously Derek Chauvin did something evil, and obviously... Even in our even in our system of justice, he should be um, convicted, and we all know. I don't think any of them actually think Derek Chauvin is going to get convicted. 
So then there's going to be a fallout from that, and that's going to be used to fix, to um, shoehorn in a bunch of policies that are in the name of the black community, even if they're not. And then um, I would say, I would wager that th this problem's core will not be resolved. I don't think all of a sudden the standards of justice, especially in police situations, is going to change. And it's not really in, I'm not even just talking about the left, but it's not even really in the government's interest to um, hold police more accountable. Because the police are the ones doing their bidding. And if the police have more leeway, then they're going to be more willing to do the government's bidding in more situations. Because they're not going to actually face, um, they're not going to have personal responsibility over what takes place. So, so there's just no reason why the government should reform these things in, 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 their, in their minds. So I, I can't imagine any substantive change. And it seems all like a narrative device to push the, um, you know, more, more racial angles and then they'll, they'll use racial angles to push other policies that are already prominent in the people in power's agendas. And you've seen this in from like the language of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve talks about how they have to run the economy hot because if they run the economy hot, then the, the last thing that, that catches up to um, say like other un unemployment factors, if you break it down by demographics, like, like the lowest unemployment rate is probably going to be college educated white people. Then, you know, um, my, my, and the, 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 so, so after college educated white people, you have people of color who are educated, like with college degrees, they, then, then, then you get like white, white people that have high school degrees, then you have people of color. So, so if you keep winding this, this back, the last thing that catches up, it's unemployment for, um, high, un, undereducated people of color. So the, the whole idea here is if you let the economy run with low interest rates for longer, that that will keep driving unemployment rate down, and that most helps people of color because their unemployment rates finally will drop to the level that is in line with, say, white people. So they will push interest rates in the name of equity, and that will be more popular if you live in a world where you now have the mainstream narrative that the up-in-everybody's-face narrative is systematic racism towards people of color. So now it's not just we want to pass our Federal Reserve policy. Well, we want to have a certain Federal Reserve policy because the elites want to use it to give themselves free money and then they can speculate with it and make enormous profits. No, it's we want cheap interest rates because indirectly for some amount of time before the crash will make black unemployment lower. And now it is a favorable opinion, and now it's something that Bernie Sanders can be in favor of and some people on the left can be in favor of because now it's an equity issue. So you can now reframe it in a way that is popular. And then you see this happen in shock politics all the time because you take things that were already in your agenda and then you reframe them. And this is what's happening with Joe Biden's infrastructure package, where only like $700 billion of this $2 trillion bill is really like what you would traditionally think of when you hear infrastructure. But then a bunch of it is like, well, we need to give... Um, we, 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 we need to subsidize certain types of families if we want them to be workers. And the, the, this is like family infrastructure. And it's not like roads. It's not bridges. It's, oh, we're going to subsidize child care because that, that, that is the infrastructure of our labor force. So now you take a term like infrastructure that, that pulls it a popular way and you bastardize it enough. So then you can use it to um, apply to all sorts of things. Um, so that's what's going to happen with the racial narrative after George Floyd's uh, killer, Derek Chauvin, ends up getting acquitted. And he's going to get acquitted because that's just how the system works if you can throw enough light, um, if you can shed enough light on a reasonable doubt. And since there will be a reasonable doubt, he's going to get acquitted, and then you're going to have all these bad things happen, and then you're going to have calls for racial justice, and they're going to say, you know what racial justice is? Federal Reserve policy. <laughs> and then it's like, whoa, how'd that happen? And it's just a bait and switch. Um, 
so that's how I see things going, and I felt like that justified a, a 24-minute rant. Um, so I hope you got something out of it. I apologize for all the uh, stuttering and the slurring of words. Um, I, I'm just, I was staying up late, and I wasn't even planning on recording something, but I just felt like I needed to get these thoughts out there. Um, if you did watch the first Obey podcast live with Archaic Skids, we talked about this a little bit, but I just wanted to put it in one concise, well, I guess not too concise, but, but in one episode where I just got all my thoughts out and was very focused on this one topic, because um, I think it's important, and I think it's going to shape, shape the next two weeks, and you need somebody out there saying it, um, and hopefully some people who do listen to NPR stumble upon this, and maybe it makes them think twice. Um, so if you enjoyed this episode, you can find more episodes in the Obey podcast feed. Um, I got like about 30 other ones at this point. You can find me on YouTube by searching the Obey podcast. You can find me on Twitter at the Obey podcast or at Matthew T. Keck. Um, I also do another podcast where me and my buddy, who is, I guess, in some way a leftist, we argue about all sorts of policy and philosophy, whether it's about natural rights or positive rights or negative rights. We talk about all that kind of stuff. We talked about... Well, we, we, we talked about in our most recent episode when political violence is, is acceptable. So we cover all sorts of things that are somewhat relevant in the news, but are also may, maybe a little more abstract. And we have a great time, and we argue for about an hour. So if that, that sounds interesting to you, I would uh, suggest checking that out. That show is called Beyond Talking Points, and you can find that on YouTube, or you can find that, that, on, that on any podcatcher, and that show is Beyond Talking Points. Um, I appreciate you for getting this far, and um, and once again, sorry for stumbling all over myself today. So, some days it's just like that, um, but for now, signing off. It's Matt. Kay. Thank you. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher, or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey Podcast at Anchor.fm slash obey podcast or on twitter at the obey podcast until next time next time